Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting edition of Phantom Talk. Uh, today, we are doing our new Star Wars segment, the EU or EU Review. Ooh. And yeah, we are so excited to be jumping back in with this. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed. We had our opener and then our Light of the Jedi episode. We hope that you enjoyed those. And uh, if you haven't, feel free to go check those out when you get a second. Um, today we're going to be covering Guinea Tartakovsky's Clone Wars from 2003 and 2005, respectively. Um, and we're going to be coming right in here in just a little bit on that. Um, if you haven't had a chance to watch that, feel free to, you know, kind of meander on over to Disney+. Plus. Uh, it is on there, and you guys can check that out and then come on back to this podcast and see what we think about it and... You know, maybe agree with us, maybe yell at us vehemently on social media, whichever you prefer. You know, it's up to you at that point. Yeah. But uh, before we get into it, we're going to go ahead and be introducing everyone. Of course, I cannot do the Star Wars EU or EU review without the co-host of the segment, Al, better known as the Red Lanyard. Al, how you doing, brother? I'm doing wonderful. Um, I'm glad you invited um, any, per- any person who disagrees with us to... Um, I'm just screaming at us on social media because if there's one thing Star Wars fans are pretty good at, it's um, it's along those lines. So, so I'm glad you did that. I mean, my hope is that, you know, if you just kind of get out ahead of it, you just kind of, you know, you can kind of control the narrative a little bit easier, you know, and, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, no. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, anyways, moving on. Uh, Speaking of screaming on social media. Mm-hmm. We have the wise sage, my brother Josh. Yeah. Josh, how you doing today? Uh, I wonder if somehow we could change wise sage to one who screams into the void. Like, the one who screams like into the, the void. One... <laughs> <laughs> the one who screams into the void. At least, at least with Star Wars stuff, I would like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but you doing good? I'm doing great. Yeah, under the, you know, <laughs> the set screaming into the, the void. Screaming to the void. Yeah. Oh goodness. Uh. And yes, sorry, okay, we got a weird notification um, that I haven't seen before. Um, my laptop's odd. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, um, my name is Jacob Vance Hardesty. Um, I am the EIC of this wonderful group of fandom correspondents and uh, ready to talk about some Star Wars, particularly the uh, this series, which is one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars lore, actually, so... We're uh, we're gonna jump right into it. Um, really, just want to kind of start with off with general thoughts. Um, Al, what did you what did you kind of think of just the show in general? Um, and also, was this your was this your fir- like one of your first or earlier times of watching it? Because I've watched a lot since it came out on Disney Plus, so I didn't know. Uh, was this like the first time you watched it since you were a kid or anything like that? Um. Yeah, so this was the first time I'd watched it um, since I was in college. Um, I watched it with my roommates um, at the time. Shout out to Harry Fogel, um, who's a a friend of the pod, if you will. Um, But um, we watched it when we were in college. Um, Somebody had it on DVD, which is an impressive feat. Mm. Um, And so we watched it in college. I hadn't watched it again since then, uh, just because it was kind of hard to find uh, until they slapped that boy onto Disney plus. Um, and, and now we can watch it at our leisure. Um, so it had been a few years, um, since I had seen it. I didn't really remember a lot of it cause it was one of the shows we just kind of had on in the background while we did, um, 
or while we did homework or while we played on the DS or something like that. Um, so, so this was probably my first time really sitting down, trying to, to watch it, trying to analyze it, um, trying to understand enough of it to talk about on our, um, on our wonderful podcast we have here. Um, overall, um, I really enjoyed it. I think it did a lot of really good things. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff in it. Um, I talked about it, um, I think on episode one when uh, we were talking about why we decided to do this podcast and um, I talked about how just when it comes to Star Wars, when it comes to anything um, I'm entertained by or invest time in, um, I'm just trying to find um, stuff that's really hype and gets me really hype. Um, And the OG Clone Wars cartoon has some of the hypest stuff in Star Wars. Um, It just does. It It just has a lot of really cool stuff. Um, that happens in it. Um, so overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had some, uh, I had some thoughts about it. I had some, um, some trepidations about how some of the, um, how some of the material was kind of presented, and I think the context that it was kind of presented in, um, especially when we kind of think about it, um, kind of inevitably, um, compared to other um, shows and media that um, um, occurs within the same era of the Clone Wars. Um, it's kind of an, an inevitability, if you will. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But overall, I really enjoyed it. It's got some hype stuff. It's got some cool lightsaber fights and droid and clone battles and all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, I'm into it. So, so I'm curious, before moving forward, what was the hypest moment for you? Oh my goodness, that's that's a good question. Um, there was a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I'm gonna have to say, uh, just because how much of a sucker I am for the original version of this fight, but um, there's a part um, at the climax of when Anakin and Ventress are having their duel, and they're at the top of the temple on Yavin, and um, Anakin has like, you know, his, his, (laughs) his baptism and bloodlust, um, at the top of that temple as he fights Asajj and he, um, and he corners her and he's just like repeatedly just like hitting and like almost a helm splitter type strike with his lightsaber onto her lightsaber until she eventually like, um, falters and drops it. And uh, that scene really reminded me um, of a similar sequence from the fight in Return of the Jedi uh, between Luke and Vader, um, where Luke um, similarly um, gains a taste of human blood um, and just goes ham on Darth Vader as he's holding up his lightsaber in a similar way. Um, And so just how cool that idea of a lightsaber fight is combined with like um, the throwback to that scene. Um, um, that was probably the hypest part that got me. Yeah, de- definitely a solid pick. Uh, Josh, general thoughts on the show? Yeah, I mean, general thoughts on the show for me uh, is without really, without any hesitation, I would say it's my favorite piece of of uh, media that's done in the in the prequel era. 
um, to me, the the strength of the of the show is that it does, and essentially, you know, as you pointed out before the podcast, you know, they've separated on on Disney Plus in to two one hour one hour and such segments. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, in two hours, what they essentially asked getting Tartakovsky to do was basically to, you know, hit some beats that led up into Revenge of the Sith. And what ends up happening, in my opinion, at least, is that Kenny Tartakovsky hits the beats better than Revenge of the Sith does. Because you have, you know, the things you have to do here in two hours almost seem like it's too much. You know, one of the things you're going to do is, okay... Well, one of the main things we have to do is we have to show that the clones are formidable. So we'll just give them five minutes in the ARC Trooper arc, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, in five minutes there and show them as extremely terrifying soldiers. Uh, then the other thing we have to do is we have to show uh, within two hours the Anakin going up and down in his uh, in his uh, journey with the Force, you know, where he's both a hero, but he's also got serious issues. Uh, and so we're going to do that as well. Uh, and we pull that off. Um, then also we have to make General Grievous horrifying and terrifying because Guinea Tartakovsky didn't get the, uh, didn't get the memo that in Revenge of Sif, he's going to be hilarious. And so Guinea <laughs> Tartakovsky turned him basically into Mike Myers with, with, uh, with lightsabers, lightsabers and four arms and four arms. <laughs> and so like, you know, the, the, the general grievous we get in this show, um, and the one we end up getting revenge of Sif are really almost diametrically opposed. And that was the main, one of the main things we, and I know we'll talk about some more, but one of the main things I took away from this is, is what getting Tarkovsky does is he, he basically gives all these guys, uh, all these characters in this show, the amount of of care, and then also portrays them as the ultra powerful people that they are, and you really don't see that in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith that much. You see it more in this show, and so to me, this show stands out because this is the this is the show. If 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 you were ever going, you know, that we talked about Yoda for lightsaber. If you're ever going to defend Yoda for lightsaber, this is the show to use it because, you know, there's a point where Yoda basically is just like stopping an entire army by himself. You know, Uh, if you ever, you know, thought like Mace Windu was overrated, this is the show that basically is like, you know, well, one time Mace lost his lightsaber on Dantooine and then he basically just turned into Bruce Lee with force powers, (laughs) you know, and like stuff like that happens over and over and over again. And so it, I, I, you know, I, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about like the history of the show and everything, but you know, Tartakovsky's kind of you know he he's done interviews on this show before, um, but one of the things I don't think I've ever heard him discuss is like what his what his point as far as like um, taking these characters and turning them into these superheroes in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, what his reasoning was for that, if he was direct to do that or not, because it really is jarring to see, you know, the ultra powerful, you know, so, I mean, warriors that the Jedi are here and then to have them in Revenge of the Sith be like the dark side's clouding everything. And I don't know, let's take these four guys here and go and fight Emperor Palpatine. And, you know, like the, the, the there's a real, there's a real seismic shift here. Mm. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm getting off track because you, you basically just asked, like, what I thought of it. I think a lot of it. I think it's fantastic. And that's okay. um, you know, of course, I'm a Guinea Tarkovsky fan. Um, you know, his ability to streamline story, how, how he tells a story. I mean, I hope we're going to talk about it. When these things first came out, they were five-minute mm-hmm. little, just mm-hmm. little five-minute, like, you know, pizza rolls, you know, of, mm-hmm. of Star Wars stuff <laughs> that you got. Five-minute pizza rolls. You know, and like you just, you know, I, I mean, we're, what's funny is we're, we're sitting in the comic room um, uh, that me and Jake have been working on for a while. Mostly Jake has been working on. I've been sitting and reading comics that he finds. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty. But like, we're sitting in this room, but the room we're in was your bedroom. Yep. And I'll never forget, you had a 13-inch TV. I did. And me and you stood right there in front of the 13-inch TV watching these when they first came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the, when the first one ended, you know, five minutes, you know, and it's just like, you know, you get that, like, you know, Obi-Wan and, you know, Anakin, you know, like, waves by to Padme. And we're looking, you'd be like, what in the world just happened? Like, five, they're only five. And you'd be like, well, you didn't know they were only five minutes? I was like, no, I didn't know they were only five minutes. Like, you know, this is this is horrific, you know? I can't, what show did it come on after? So... I, real quick, what is your hypest moment of the? Of the oh, series? I'm sorry, <laughs> hypest moment. Um, you know, it. I, I'll be my my favorite my my favorite moment. It's not hype, but the best storytelling moment in it is Anakin's uh, vision, in of my course, opinion. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the best storytelling moment in it. Mm-hmm. If you want a hype moment, basically everything from General Grievous. Uh, to the end, when General Grievous mm-hmm. is chasing Palpatine, that has some of the best. Just, just some of the best moments. What? Including Roran Korob, the, yes, the Athorian yes, Jedi. Yes, including Roran Korob. And what's their, what's the fuzzy Jedi's name? I actually don't know the fuzzy Jedi's name. You, don't, you I, mean I you're don't. doing this? You don't know the you're, fuzzy you're right. Jedi's I name? Need to, you're right. You're right. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking up the fuzzy Jedi right now. I don't even think they, do they name him? I don't it? know. They don't name Roran Korob except for in his action figures. Okay. So, you know. All right. But it's, it's Shock T as well. But yes. Anyway, yeah. Shock T's that the That whole there. just running. You know that that basically chase scene mm-hmm. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, including the the time where the clone trooper looks out from the elevator, yeah, and just and just, like... just loads up a missile, just point blank range. Literally one of my favorite scenes in in cartoon <laughs> history, just because like he looks and there's General Grievous and he's like, well. not gonna die today. <laughs> just load it up, boys. <laughs> it out of a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, the, the, that's what I'm talking about with the, you know, General Grievous needs his own podcast because what we were told and what we got was so, so different in, in Revenge of the Sith. And like, and that that right there, that general idea of like that clone trooper who understand the clone trooper at that point is just like, <laughs> all right, you know, like, listen, we've done everything. I'm, I, you know, like, I don't know. I, I've, I have a rocket launcher. Let's see if I can kill him five feet away. And the best part is he does not. He doesn't. So, like, you know, the the general concept of, of what General Grievous was and what he became um, is really interesting. Um, but he, but I, I digress. So, so you so you mentioned, you know, that they were only five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um so I remember this very, very well, distinctly even, okay, that each, the first two seasons were two week long events, okay? Um, I think, I want to say happening in like March and I want to say August of 2003. 
Um, because what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to bridge the gap between Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith, as you already said. Um, if you do not know, and one day I... If I ever get any kind of clout and or ability to produce a documentary, I want one about Lucasfilm doing the three mass market events they have done. The first one, which we're going to be covering later this year, is Shadows of the Empire in 1996. The latest and third one is The High Republic, which Al and I talked about on the last episode. But the second one, and arguably the biggest of them, leading up to, with the exception of maybe High Republic, because we don't really know exactly how far that's going to go, was the Clone Wars. Um, if you don't know, basically, <laughs> Del Rey Books, um, the Dark Horse Star Wars comics, which were then changed to Star Wars Republic, and the Guinea Tarkovsky Clone Wars were all supposed to work in tandem, all telling a maybe not the exact same story, but parts of a of a whole, pretty much. Um, which is why one of the big one of the big questions is: Okay, um, does Asajj Ventress show up in the in the show or in the comics first? She technically shows up in the exact same month in the first comic and the first time that she's shown up in the show. So that's a whole discussion and multiple Star Wars forums, you know, you know, sure it's happening somewhere. Um, but the interesting thing about this, like Josh already alluded to, is I don't think they knew where Revenge of the Sith was really going. In the sense that in the sense that like I think I think that the main thing they knew was that it was going to start with the with a battle on Coruscant where Palpatine had been captured. And they were like, okay, go, 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 go play with your toys, you know, go, go give us Star Wars stories. Um, because if you read, you know, the Star Wars Republic books, because we, I recently got a few for Christmas and I started, you know, I've read them years ago, but I started sk skimming through them. And one of the things that you mentioned, and one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later, is how formidable everyone is. There's never, and, and that's on both sides. Because, like... Well, there's heroes on both sides. Oh, well, there you go. Um, there's there's a point where, like, it's genuinely terrifying to be, like, to in this in, in a war. And there are points where it actually goes more into, like, a war book than it does really, like, a Star Wars book in a lot of ways. Because there are multiple different points in those comics where... You know, like this clone commander is being tortured by Asajj Ventress, and he's basically like, he's all he's doing is giving his cadet number and stuff like that and everything. And it's just, it's really kind of intense scene. Um, Obi Wan Kenobi gets captured, and he's being tortured too. Like these, there are these, and behind enemy lines, they have to figure out how to get out. And it's a really interesting story, and they keep doing different things like that where they're focusing on how how really just solid all these characters are. Clone Wars, the Guinea Tarkovsky one, does the exact same thing, but like you said, what's interesting is that then you watch Revenge of the Sith and it's almost like you're watching two in completely different stories. Um, but I digress. Um, the show was handled in an interesting way because I can't remember what show came on before it, but all I know is that at 6.54... 
you needed to be at your TV because this is this is long before streaming and DVRs, children. Um, and we we missed a few every once in a while, but we. But I remember watching the first one with you, like you said, and the last thing you see is Anakin flying off into Starfighter, and then we were just like, what what is going on? We why why is this only five minutes? And then what is the second part on Disney Plus? The one that really is the lead into Revenge of the Sith. Those were like 15 minute segments. They were still way too short, in my opinion. Um, watching on Disney Plus is the best way to watch it, in my opinion. Um, and not just pausing it every five minutes and then just being like, all right, I'll come back tomorrow, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really interesting show. Um, and uh, I just looked this up just to double check. Um, it did win like four different Emmys, um, and it is well deserved in both. From just an animated production, from sound design, animations itself, everything about it. Just, it's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> but moving on. Let me get my notes here. Sorry. Someone went off there. All right. Um, Al, what were some of your thoughts on some of the it's it seems rude to call them secondary jedi but basically the jedi that aren't anakin or obi-wan what were your what were some of your thoughts on them because the of course the interesting part about that those first few episodes is like that's really the first time that we got to see more of you know kit fisto uh luminara and barris and i I'm missing one. Well, well, Shakti and Ayla in the last episode. But what were some of your well, thoughts I on mean, the Kati Mundi? Kati Mundi, yeah. Yeah. What, what were some of your thoughts on the on the secondary Jedi and kind of their their roles in in this in this show? Uh, yeah, um, I'm glad you asked me that because um, I really enjoyed some of uh, the lesser known um, Jedi and what they did in this. Uh, but first off, um, hold your horses there, Skippy. Um, because I like to hear um, your thoughts on what the hypest um, scene or s- sequence ah. was from <laughs> from the show. So, so for me, <clears throat> my mine would would arguably like if, if I'm talking like the best scene of the show, I'd probably go with Josh and be like the vision because um, the vision is is great, but. The scene that I've just always loved, and even when I when I walked through the living room and it was like I, I stopped because Josh was watching it, and I was like, I, w- I want to watch this again. So, in episode four, Obi Wan Kenobi tells us that Anakin was one of the best starfighter pilots in the galaxy, and the main things that we get of that in <laughs> in the prequels is I'll try spinning. That's, That's a, a good, good trick, trick. Yeah. Um, you know, and. And I know, yes, I know he's just a boy, but even in, like, you don't see <laughs> you it. You think they could have shoved that in somewhere. Somewhere. He's, right? he's, he's just like, a boy, Jacob. He's just a boy. <laughs> he's uh, just a boy. But you, don't, you don't get hardly any of that in episode two, um, except for the speeder case. And then in Revenge of the Sith, you get that. He does scrape the little thingies off of Obi-Wan. He does. You get that opening scene. <laughs> but that's True. not really, like, overtly impressive. You contrast that with this show. There's just a full episode that is, that is dedicated to Anakin leading this clone squadron in this battle, in the space battle. And one of the coolest moments of the entire thing is when he has all of these ships chasing after him. It's just him. And he tells the squadron 
to shoot all their missiles over the edge of this of one of these star cruisers. And they're like, but there's nothing out there. And he's like, do it now. And so all these missiles start flying out. And there's a scene where like his eyes squint and things get really intense. And he sees like one missile go over. He dodges that one. And then all the missiles hit all the ships at the exact same time. It's just a really cool maneuver. And it's something that I just really enjoyed because it was the one of the one of the few times we got to see Anakin as the best Starfighter pilot in the galaxy at the time. Real quick while you're talking about that, mm. another awesome part of that when he's chasing Asajj Ventress afterwards. Mm. I had never noticed this until I was watching it last night, but he goes, I have you now. He says that. Oh, he does, yeah. doesn't he? And like I was like, that is so great. Such an <laughs> awesome callback. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. But yes, Anakin and the Starfighter is probably probably my favorite. Also, while we're just getting getting on this, his Starfighter design in this is so cool. Just the blue and white. I just I really enjoy it. Um, You know, all the Jedi Starfighter designs are cool. I I I don't mind the ones in Revenge of the Sith. I I like um, the one that Obi Wan has in Episode Two. All the Jedi Starfighters look cool, Um, but. But I really like his. I just I really like his. Um, but uh, continuing on, Al, what were your thoughts on some of the secondary Jedi in this series? Um, yeah, so um, so I really I really enjoyed a lot of the scenes um, where um, honestly, in in a lot of places, I mean, this show is where you get like the vast majority of info and exposure to um, a lot of the characters. And um, something it does really well, which is something I'm going to circle back to later on this episode, um, so everybody remember this, is that it um, it really shows how powerful, um, not just like the really elite Jedi are, you know, there's Obi-Wan, there's, uh, there's Anakin, there's Yoda, um, uh, there's Windu, um, but also just in general, how a Jedi just can like, turn the tide of a battle um just how powerful they are um um, i finally got an answer after all these years um after seeing revenge of the sith and seeing um how hit fisto um goes with mace um to get palpatine and just gets aced um almost immediately and now i'm just like oh well yeah it's because he wasn't underwater it makes sense um, it's just, it makes perfect sense now. Fair. If Palpatine, yeah, had, been, if Palpatine <laughs> had been swimming, um, it would have been over. But, uh, <laughs> the rest of Star Wars would have gone very differently. Um, but no, uh, there's a lot of great, uh, cool stuff that happens. Um, Josh already he talked about it. Um, on the battle, uh, where Mace Windu, he loses his lightsaber and he has becomes um a character from jojo's bizarre adventure and just starts <laughs> just just punching the hell out of battle dro- out of battle droids um there's a really cool scene where um he uses a force on one of the super battle droids and just like removes the bolts that are holding it together and it just like collapses and uh, and one of my favorite things about um about him in the show is that after that episode further into the show um he's fighting battle droids again and he has his lightsaber and at one point he chooses not to use it and just punches the battle droid again <laughs> and i'm just like i mean yeah if, you, if you're able to do it then why not, why not? Uh, so that was really great 
Um, there were also, you know, as cool as a lot of those sequences were, though, um, I have to say, there were a couple of Jedi that stood out to me um, for very different reasons. Um, for example, when General Grievous first shows up and has his appearance, and it's really cool, it's really awesome. Um, the first Jedi he aces um, is just Jedi Padawan Shaggy from Mystery Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I love that. Yeah, that was great. I was just like, well, see, that's why that's why you don't go anywhere without Scooby. Um, at one point, there's a Jedi who's just a werewolf, and I don't know if we've ever gotten any more info on that guy, but he's he just straight up he's just straight up Teen Wolf, and he's a Jedi, and he does really cool stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I'm glad they're you know inclusive uh, to classic ho- <laughs> to classic horror. Um, Features as well, but my favorite y'all straight up my favorite like non-main Jedi character in this show. He only shows up once. Is when they're doing the meeting with the council, and they're trying to decide what to do. And Master Rancisus, right? Uh-huh. Master Rancisus speaks up, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, I forget what he even says. But I know he shows up on screen and I'm just like, this character was in this show by mistake. Uh, this is obviously a character who belongs in the ever ending story um, because he looks unlike anything else I've ever seen in Star Wars. And I love him so much. I want to like just hold him and interlace my fingers through whatever is going on with his fingers and and I'll be I'll be lost in those weird spindly fingers for for years and years and I'll feel like I'm okay because who the hell knows what happens to Master Rincisus again? I don't know. He doesn't Jake, show up again. I, I, He's gone. I know a lot about Master Rincisus, Jake knows actually. way too much about Master Rincisus, and I've already had this exact same conversation with him. Well, but he's, in, he's in episode one, right? He he's in uh, episode one and two because he's a council member. Yeah. He is also um, on the Jedi Council during the Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Al, oh my God. He, he ha- he is mentioned is uh, very briefly. Yes, I love him. I love him. I'm going to go back and read the book right now because <laughs> I need I need more I need more Master Insistus in my life uh, because hot damn it, it's like it's like a Jedi had a child with a tree. He's incredible. I love him so much. He's my favorite. He's my favorite secondary character in the whole show. Uh, I need way more. I need a book about just Master Insistus and what he gets up to. But, he's one um, of the greatest duelists in Jedi history, actually. I don't uh, even understand how that's possible. He's a snake. I, I, so, I know so he's he, a snake. He moves and he slithers. Are you really? They, they can't see the slithers. He shimmies. I'm doing a slithering movement then, right now. I, I promise you, if somebody had actually told Gunny Tartakovsky that, we would have had at least five scenes of Master Ranzo. Absolutely. Going to town. No one told him that. They said, hey, there's this Muppet that's on the, uh, on the council. <laughs> Give him some lines, and then they gave and like the worst part about him is that like his entire scene is like, well, Anakin's stupid. Like I don't know why we're even dealing with Anakin. Like I, you know, I'm like, you know, and, and and I mean, I understand Anakin becomes Darth Vader, but they don't they don't know that. If they did know that, he wouldn't even be a Padawan to begin with. So like, you know, it's like 
It, it, it's not like he senses like Anakin could be a great evil. He's like, I don't know, but I think I think we're jump tracking this uh, Anakin kid a little too fast, you know. And then like Yoda has to be like, dude, you don't even have legs. Uh, he doesn't say that, but he means it. And like, <laughs> yeah, it, but that's yeah. what he means. That's what he means. <laughs> no, that's so. So what is, is, is so in light? So in light of the Jedi, is Yoda still his his uh, master? No, they're both on the council at this point. But what I'm saying though, like, so that that's an actual. They didn't they didn't kind that in canon. No, okay. No. All right. Anyway, carry on. I'm sorry, Al. I, I no. love some Master Rancestus as well. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I just wanted to give a lot of love to whatever, um, to whatever that character is. But um, uh, no, that's great. Actually, in um, if we're talking about uh, the characters in Light of the Jedi, throughout Light of the Jedi, um, Astro Yoda isn't even really, like, on the council. Like, he is, he has a place on it, and, um, and Avar Chris at one point has a line, um, almost a throwaway line, how, like, how Yoda has taken, like, a sabbatical, essentially, and, like, has screwed off to, to some other part of the galaxy. Yes, exactly. Um, and he's just gone. And then he shows up at, like, the ceremony at the very end, and he just has, like, um, all these kids with him, I assume, that he stole from other planets. Um, <laughs> and and he's back. And so you're just like, wow, he's really just... He really <laughs> he really just does whatever he wants, huh? Um, but no, I, um, I like that <laughs> part of the book. I like him in this as well. This, is, this show, the last thing I'll say about the Jedi question, this show is probably the most I've ever enjoyed um, non-hermit version of Yoda. I like him a lot in this. That's that's definitely fair. Um, to to answer your question though, um, if you want to follow Yoda's adventures, um, then you need to look up the Star Wars Adventures comics from IDW, uh, the Star Wars High Repu- Star Wars Adventures High Republic comics from IDW. Excuse me. Um, they have actually the the first like ten have all been about Yoda's sabbatical and getting um, taking different younglings um, with him to basically. Basically, do like this, like training of the force, pretty much, uh, and then the Nile show up and ruin everything, and it's it's a whole thing. So you know, um, but definitely worth checking out. Um, but moving on, um, Josh, your thoughts on some of the secondary data that are in this? I know you're a big Kit Fisto fan, so <laughs> I really I don't have anything against Kit Fisto. You know, the the guy that apparently has something against Kit Fisto is Mace Windu, who mm. you know gets him and Sacytan and Agen Kohler just utterly you know wrecked because he has no strategic capability whatsoever but uh no kid fisto is really cool in this that's actually probably one of the standout episodes is the uh you know is the i can't i know it's the mon calamari but what's the what's the other planet yeah but what's the corns the corns yeah the you know their their battles against each other you know like there's the i mean every every aspect that's just really neat you know you start off of course you have this like yeah, it's like the Mon Calamari cannot hold back, you know. And then, like, you the see, like, saddest. the saddest little Mon Calamari <laughs> child just, like, <laughs> looking into the sky, like, what are we, you know, like, I, I have expected, like, to be sort of like, Master Skywalker, what are we <laughs> what going are we gonna to do? do? <laughs> Master Fisto, what are we going to do? And then, like, you know, you, and then you just get, like, you know, this this awesome underwater battle scene uh, that just keeps, like, you know, raising the stakes. You know, you got Kid Fisto, you know, going to town on, like, you know, like, he's just... 
there's a part where he's just like using the force, like yeah, like just to just like just like very subtly tear apart all of these you know ships mm-hmm. underwater, and then you've got that laser cannon that shows up and just splits one of the ships in half. It's a great scene. I mean, it, it's it's one of the better episodes in the entire series. Um, but my favorite moment for Secondary Jedi, no joke. Even though I make fun of Jake a lot for this, say his name again, the Ithorian. Oh, Roran Korra. Yeah, Roran Korra, where he just, like, steps up and does the Dragonborn shout <laughs> to, uh, to 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 uh, General Grievous. And, and and it's just like, and it's like a thing, like, it's the only time Grievous is, like, stopped in the whole, yeah. the whole part of it, you know? And, and it's just like, you know, and, like, it just, <laughs> he's like, Athorians have nine throats. Well, I can't four. really, four throats or whatever, you know. And he's just like, yeah, Athorian, you know, that, that's something. And I was like, I didn't know Athorians could do that, you know. And I had the Mama Nadon figure, you know, back in 1998. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't know they could do that. Uh, so just, yeah, that was that was probably my, my favorite secondary Jedi moment. Uh, I, uh, you know, shout out to to uh shaggy the jedi though uh who we barely yes, knew him so the know. only thing we know about him is you know that he took one look at or really just heard general grievous and was just like you know i'm done you know like <laughs> I, I, just, I, I renounce my vows i don't want to do this anymore the ability to move some rocks is not worth it you know to get early murked by general <laughs> grievous here you know uh, so yeah, that's, that is that. Yeah. Shout out to that. And that entire scene's masterfully done. Um, cause that's the end of the first season. Second season. Second season. Second technically, season technically, yeah. 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 Okay. Technically the first season is part one and part two. Yeah. And then the step before of end of the season is technically second season, but yeah. Um, also Al, I, I apologize. I did want to mention this. Um, you mentioned a werewolf Jedi. Yes. Um, and then Josh mentioned Voran Korob. Um, so, so interesting things about those before these premiered, like was, I, I remember distinctly, um, they had about six months prior, they had these little write-in, um, campaigns online where you could vote on which Jedi, which different Jedi species would be included in Star Wars Clone Wars. Okay. And the That's winner... Incredible. Of the first one was Volvith Mon, the um uh, Hista the Hista who is basically the werewolf Jedi, like you said. That's uh, and uh the the had were in the the in the cantina and the in a new hope. Most of most of the people who were in the cantina, what they were doing is they were adding cantina species such as the Athorian, uh, whatever the fuzzy one is called that I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all in the cantina, and they were like, let's go ahead and make them Jedi in the Clone Wars. What do you all want to see? So Volvith Mon won the first one, and then they were so excited just to have the ability to use different different species in, of Jedi that the other two were Warren Korob, the Athorian, and whatever the fuzzy one is called, which, for the record, if you're listening to this podcast and you know what that species is or what that character's name is, please let us know. Because um, I don't really know how to look up very quickly Fuzzy Jedi. Um, because I have no idea what search results I will get on Google if I do that. So, um, But moving on, um, that was just one of the cool things. Like you, like you said, it, it was cool to just... 
have like a 30 second seed where well, this werewolf is just on. wrecking battle droids. Yeah, hold on, hold on. I mean, yes, it was. I'm not saying it wasn't cool and not a great idea, mm-hmm. but there's almost something mercenary to the fact you voted for that character to watch him once again just get absolutely rolled by General Grievous. No, he doesn't. He died. The only two that live are Shock T. And... No, the werewolf is the werewolf isn't in the finale. The werewolf is at the Battle of Munalist. He's the third. Je- he's the other Jedi with Obi Wan. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, okay, he's he's fine. Okay, he's fine. Yeah, no, no, he's doing great. He's good. No, good. It's yeah. he's good. Okay, he's good. Now it's sad for Warren <laughs> yeah, the fuzzy one because yeah, they right. yeah, they you, because they, they get to be the oh holy shit General Grievous has four arms scene. Yeah, that's because right. but we're gonna get to that in a minute. Um, but moving on, continuing on though. Um. Yeah, the secondary Jedi in this were awesome um, because because Al, you you hit the nail on the head where you were like, you know, this was really the first time we got to see a lot of them in in different forms and and really kind of see them do things besides having small cameos in Attack of the Clones. Because of course, all the characters that are in this show up in Attack of the Clones at one point or another, whether it's they're somewhere on Coruscant or they're in the arena. Um, of course, Kit Fisto has the scene where he force pushes C-3PO as a battle droid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Luminar and Dooley and Barriss Afi are there as well. Um, Ayla Sakura has her first appearance in Attack of the Clones. Um, of course, shout out to our boy Coleman Trevor, who uh, almost, almost got Count Dooku, but unfortunately Django Fett what was there. What do you there. mean almost? Um, he, Django shot three times at him. But unfortunately Django Fett was there. <laughs> okay, so, all right. All but right. You shut your mouth. My boy Coleman Trevor deserved better. Uh, <laughs> the, this entire podcast is going to shift to a Coleman Trevor uh, tribute, by the way. Okay. Um, no. Um, but it was just really cool to see those, those like you said, and just different. Plus, this is also the first time we got to see Ilum. Which is where they get the Kyber crystals, which is uh, for the for the lightsabers. You get this really cool scene with Luminar and Dooley and Barris Offie, which is ruined um, by the later Clone Wars. But you know it's okay right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's just great to see different. Those guys also take center stage as well in a couple episodes. So yeah, but uh, moving on, <clears throat> the villains in this piece. So you do have Darth Sidious, and you have uh, Count Dooku, and we also we obviously knew them from Attack of the Clones. However, this show, and we've already mentioned two of them. However, we have not mentioned one who is definitely blowing to my mm-hmm. heart. Um, introduced three brand new villains um, to to the series. I know for a fact this was General Grievous's first appearance was in was in the cartoon. Saj Ventress also shows up in the comics right around the same time, and Dirk the Bounty Hunter shows up in the comics about a month later. Um, but Dirk, Saj Ventress, and General Grievous, this was their first appearance. Um, Josh, we're going to ask you, what were your thoughts on the th- on these three villains, their introduction in the show, and kind of how they were used going forward? Yeah, it's their... Um... You know, they, they're definitely given the weight they probably deserve. I will always think Dirge is just a silly character. He's amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. I, 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 yeah. But, I mean, I, I will I will give it to, uh, to you know, it's like that, that, that entire scene, you know, where they're like, 
you know, they give Dirk like jousting, you know, like <laughs> jousting swords, <laughs> and there's like, and then you got all the IG88s. There's so, like, you know, we're just gonna go and, you know, like Dirk just walks, just like rides up to one of the big like early ATATs, you know, or ATTs, yeah, and just like lifts it up with the jousting stick and blows up. It's like, what is this thing? Like, what in the world is this? And then later on, and then when you're like, that's really silly. Why would they do that? Obi-Wan ends up having one too. And you're like, that was a thing back then? Like, they have lasers that can shoot hundreds of yards and they're using jousting sticks? Okay. You know? To have these epic charges between each other. Well, but anyway, no, I mean, Dirge is, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's he's given the the weight he deserves. I think Dirk is. I mean, I, I think he's a silly character, but I'll let you have you know your your. He's also canon. Yeah, now. I know he's canon. I'll, you, he's I'll, back, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you have your your fun with him. But uh, uh, no, I mean, like I've, I've said before, to me, this was the you know the uh, Asajj Juventus, of course, kind kind of gets kind of a short end of the stick. Honestly, uh, he's almost used in this as a. Uh, a stepping stone for Anakin, really. I mean, when when Anakin's, uh, you know, when they're talking about making Anakin a Jedi, you know, like Obi Wan uses, you know, his ability to be the Saj Ventress as part of his trial, uh, which is just is hilarious. But like, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I mean, I you know, I think I think they should include the Jedi trial. And you know, did you take down a random Force user, you know, by yourself at some point? Uh, who was given, you know, dual blading lightsabers from Count Dooku? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, she she has a great introduction as well, you know, in, in that fighting pit. But I mean, you know, Grievous is the standout here. I mean, he really is. He's the he's the character that, um, you know, you can almost sense that there was some some direction given to Tartakovsky to be like, look, this is the guy that's going to be, you know, the we're introducing him as one of the big bads in the movie. Um, and so, you know, and so Tartakovsky is like, okay, capital ideal sport, you know, like, and you, you just get this like sense of, you know, his ability to take on, you know, six Jedis at once. And in a, in a, in a series where we've seen, as I was pointed out, like Jedi turn an entire battle and then you got Grievous who can just take that, just turn that tide on its head. Um, even if it is just Keati Mundi, you know, like mm-hmm. it's still, you know, like holding holding your Still own. Still a councilman. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but holding your own against all these all these guys really really stands out. Um, and and I guess the way he's <laughs> the way he's filmed, you know, just the the you know when Palpatine is like, I'm not going to run anymore, and then like you know just his head pops down there <laughs> in front of the mirror mm-hmm. and things like that. He's he's filmed as a you know as a horror movie villain, and uh, you know, and that's kind of how he's. You're supposed to take him in this, so I think he's the real, the real standout here. Um, Ventress and Dirge, you know, I think having read some of those comics, they get much better treatment in those comics. I think, um, but uh, they're not really, in my opinion, given the time here. I think the 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 if there is one scene I could take out of this, it is Dirge eating Obi Wan and like. <laughs> Like just that, we see that pink, like this giant, like pink bulbous monster, just like running around, and you're just like, you know, I, it, it just it it ruins it ruins the character for me because he's just so ridiculous, and like they just Obi Wan is just like, you know, just you know uses the force to blow him up from the inside. You're just like, what is this? What in the world is this? Like you know, I don't know. I say that to me, that is the that's the weirdest, the weirdest moment in the whole series. 
Well, agree to disagree about that. Yeah. that yeah. That's cinematic <laughs> masterpiece. Um, Al, what were your thoughts on the uh, on the villains in this? Um, yeah, um, I thought the villains were great. Um, real quick, uh, we have a guest, everybody. Oh, have a guest appearance. Everybody ready? Yes. Fact yeah. checking boy. Oh, oh. fact checking boy. Oh, fact checking boy coming at you with the just the hottest lore tidbits mm. about this cartoon from 2003 to 2005. <laughs> um, so um, the name of the f- fuzzy Jedi who Ooh. fights with Shock T uh, during the kidnapping of Chancellor Palpatine. Um, his name, it's a him. His name is Fal Modama. Ooh. And his species is a Tulls. Tults. T-A-L-Z. Tults. He's a male Tults. Fal Modama. Ooh. I love him. Well, there you go. Yeah. He is okay. great. Okay. Well, well, thank you, Fat Checking Boy, for that. Of course. Oh, he's he's always happy to chime in. Uh, and and you know what especially now that he has a name um this character um in my heart is 100 percent a part of the new canon um he existed 100 percent. yeah i I love him even more now he has a name uh but yeah um i like the villains a lot um um, josh has just about said everything that can be said about annual grievous um when um, my college roommate, Harry, was um, telling me about this show because I hadn't ever seen it. Um, I was only kind of like, at the at that time in my life, I was only um, kind of um, tangentially a Star Wars fan. Um, at the time, I kind of dropped out of it a bit. Um, and Harry was telling me about it. His main point he was trying to sell me on it was, dude, you have to see General Grievous in mm-hmm. this show. Um, that was like the way he pitched the show to me was you have to see General Grievous in this. Um, he's incredible. He does, (laughs) he does kind of pose a problem now with, um, Revenge of the Sith. Um, because in this show, um, as Josh has said, he's, he's horrifying. Um, he's cold, he's calculating, um, several of the Jedi when he's first introduced, um, talk about how much of a how much tactical brilliance he has, things like that. Um, and then this tactically brilliant um, just machine of war um, comes into Revenge of the Sith, and he's just like, and he's just like, oh, this this Master Jedi has just kind of revealed himself to me in my battalion of droids. Um, I'm just gonna like try to one v one him, and we're gonna and we're gonna run down. We're going to run down alleyways in this factory and we're going to do all kinds of stuff. And that's going to be my tactic. Um, and he's just kind of, it's almost a problem. It almost feels like it's not even the same um, character. If you want to headcanon it, you can say uh, when Mace Windu crushes him to give him his cough, um, he also just kind of got just like a stray lobe of his brain as well. And so, you know, it's kind of, he's kind of dumb now. That's a way to, <laughs> it's kind of a way to explain it if you want to. But um, no, he's awesome in the show. Um, Dursh was fine. Uh, I had kind of a similar reaction as Josh when he showed up with his his jousting spears. I'm just kind of like, oh, this is kind of 
this is kind of campy, but like I'm here with it. And then Obi-Wan showed up with his jousting spears. And I was just like, well, why do they use lightsabers? Like, <laughs> where do you get jousting spears? Is that even told? Is that even stated or like? Where one gets jousting spears. Okay, all right, all right, I'm I sorry. Just, I'll continue you know, on. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just, that, yeah, that they seems... come equipped for them. You know, yeah. they're ready for it. Uh, when Obi-Wan left to go to that battle, he was just like, he ought to wait. Really do we, have, do we have enough jousting spears on the ship? Exactly. <laughs> I've got a so feeling. The commander's like, what, what is a jousting spear? You know, like, we have, like, missile launchers. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't care. Have this, got the spear, let's go. <laughs> He's got like, um, um, excuse me, General Kenobi, um, I think if we just stand at a higher spot, and shoot down at them, I think we'll win. <laughs> Kenobi's just like, no, we fight like men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that part was great. Um, but um, no, uh, I really enjoyed Asajj. Um, uh, Asajj Ventures was great. Um, as I said, her duel with Anakin was probably my hypest um, part of a show that is just chock full of hype stuff. Um I will say that um, that as cool as she was in this, this is one of those things that I kind of prefer in um, in the t- 2008 and on show, just because we get a lot more of Asajj. Just the quantity uh, that we get of her character um, is there in the new show. And um, it kind of f- held bad. I mean, obviously... You know, they had a timetable. They had to be like, okay, Revenge of the Sith is coming. We only have so many episodes. We can't have this kind of problematic Sith Force user just kind of hanging out and then transitioning into Revenge of the Sith. Um, So um, I understand why um, her time was so limited. But um, I just think that she's such a great character. Um, I'm all of her style. I love what and who she is, both... Um, in the context to the Jedi as well as to the Sith and Count Dooku. Um, so um, I really enjoyed her um, a lot. Um, I thought she was used well. My only complaint, again, is that we could have um, had even more of her. Um, we should have been around a bit more. But um, um, no, I did enjoy her. I did. I thought she was cool. Yeah, I, you know, it's, this kind of leads into the next question, too. Um, you can't help but watch this and make certain comparisons to the 2000, to the Dave Filoni Clone Wars, which was like 2008 to, well, technically to uh, 2021, um, but, or 2020, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you can't really watch these without making comparisons to one another because they are, of course, two series set in the Clone Wars. Um, I think each one definitely does have some pros and cons when it comes to that aspect, but Asajj Ventress is one is one of the few where, like, as much as I love her, I love her introduction. I think she's really... and She looks interesting. She's just a really cool-looking, and every villain and everything that she does is really cool, but like you said you're missing a lot of her backstory and when, especially in like season five of Clone Wars, when you finally get the whole story with the night sisters and everything like that's, 
that's one of those things where, where like to me, like that's absolutely necessary. Like that's something that that is in the the grand canon, which we'll be going into later. Oh uh, boy, just like, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but moving on. Um, uh, as as much as I do love focusing on Dirge, my boy Dirge and the South Ventress. Um, uh, one thing I will say about Grievous, though, that uh, Josh didn't actually touch on. He did kind of touch on it, but like. Every time he showed up, he could do something different. He was it was he it was like a a video game villain. Just like every time he showed up, something was new about him that was terrifying. Um, in his first appearance, he's randomly just starts using his foot to hold a lightsaber and starts like like dueling upside down and crazy stuff like that. And then um, when he takes Palpatine, that's when we first see him that he has four arms and. That's where you're like, I don't know, like what what can be done about him, you know? And of course, then what can be done is like you stand there and you walk and you grab a and you you kind of point your lightsaber in the direction of his like helicoptering blade Uh and you just go ping, 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 and ping, and then you get a giant lizard and you case him on a wheel and then you shoot him. We do not say anything bad about Boga here. I have not, I'm Boga not saying a bad thing about Boga. Wonderful. Boga is delightful. Okay. I'm not, I would never say a bad like, thing about him. The, the I want the Boga Borgullet in the Star Wars story. Is that the like, story? That, that's I, I, would, I, I, I don't think Borgullet needs to be in anything involving Boga, but that's okay. Well, I agree to disagree. Okay. Um, moving on, though. <laughs> so. The both the clones and the droids in this show were very, very different from what we got in Dave Filoni's and in a lot of ways different from what we got in Revenge of the Sith. <clears throat> do you have a preference on which one you guys prefer or do you think there are pros and cons to both? We're going to start with Al. And and before and before you answer real quick, um, no matter what we say, I do not want to take anything away from. D. Bradley Baker and Matthew Wood, um, who voiced all the clones and the droids and General Grievous, respectively, in the Dave Filoni uh, series on. Fantastic voice actors. They do a great job. Nothing against them, but yeah. Proceed, Al. Sorry. No, no. No, that's fine. That's a good point. Um, boy, that is <laughs> that is the question in a lot of ways. Um because what I think about the clones and the droids and how they're handled in in this original series and in the 2008 series really circles back to what I think these two shows are trying to do. And to me, these two shows are setting out to do two somewhat similar uh, but at the end, very d- d- different kinds of things. I think these two shows have very d- different end goals in what they're trying to do, right? And what I mean by that is this goes back to um, um, Jacob. I talked to you yesterday about it. Um, I told you I finished up um, the Clone Wars. You asked me what I thought about it. And I said, I liked it. It feels like I watched a war propaganda film. Um, and and I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that's a bad thing. Um, because I think 
in a lot of ways, especially as far as the clones and the droids go, and also the Jedi to a certain extent, I think that is what this show set out to do. I think um, it very much was kind of a propaganda film for the Jedi and for the Republic and the Clone Wars. Um, Because everybody in this show, um, including the clones, almost especially the clones, uh, when you talk about it in comparison to the 2008 series, um, almost everyone in this show is a badass. Like that's like we've talked about how hype the action scenes are, how hype um, the fighting scenes are, how hype all the battles are. I mean, pretty much everybody in this show, except for Shaggy, is a badass. <laughs> Shaggy is the most relatable character in the entire series. <laughs> if I saw General Grievous do what General Grievous did, I would have I would have been ready to <laughs> to piece out of there too. Um. And what I mean by that is we have this introduction to the clones. Josh already talked about the ARC Trooper um, kind of journey. I don't want to say ARC again. It's weird. It it sounds weird out of your mouth. Um, but, uh, (laughs) But the presentation of the ARC Troopers. And the ARC Troopers are badasses. They just are. They're highly efficient. They, they accomplish their goal. They do awesome stuff. Uh, they're badasses. Um, the clones in general, they're efficient, they're precise, uh, they do their battle objectives. Um, that being said, we see clones get utterly wasted throughout this show. Um, and (laughs) there's not a lot of time really spent on it, right? Um, we see these clone troopers just get aced either by droids or by General Grievous, or whatever it might be. And and there isn't a lot of thought that's kind of invested into what the war experience is for these um, clones, and for the droids as well. Obviously, the droids are the antagonists, um, so, like, zero thought at all is spent with them, which, again, does feed into the idea that this was a Clone Wars era war propaganda film um, as i described it um and compare contrast this with the 2008 show where a lot of time is spent with the clones um for some seasons there's way more time spent with the clones than with any of the jedi characters um and there's investment there and you get to see how they react um, to the fact that they're in a war, you get to see them be efficient and do battles and things like that, but you get to see the more human side of their experience. And that gets to the core, as I said, of what the difference and what these two shows are trying to do, right? These are two shows about the Clone Wars. Um, what Tartakovsky's show sets out to do is, hey, I have to link episode two to episode three, Um, As Josh said, I have to show how efficient and dangerous um, the clone troopers are, have to show what a force the Jedi are, have to set these things up. In 2008, the pressure was off. They had all the time in the world uh, because we've already seen um, the story play out. And so in 2008, I think the goal was much more to be, let's explore what war really means in this era and for these characters and for these factions. 
Um, again, I'm not uh, trying to say that like the 2008 film was like a big like philosophical treatise on like droids and AI and their <laughs> and their emotional processing the war. Um, but um, I think the difference is there, and I think that kind of leads me into into what I prefer because it's kind of hard to say what I prefer because it kind of depends on what I'm trying to get, what I'm trying to experience and get out of it. When I sit down to watch a clone war show, if I want something that explores the more human side and the more emotional side of what war can mean in this fictional universe, then I think the 2008 show is a way to go. Uh, but if I want to see more of like the, the action and um, the battles of it, then the 2003 show is kind of the way to go. And it's kind of, it's, it's interesting because you can kind of say that both deal or, or try to deal with realism and the darker and grittier side of what the Clone Wars was. But the difference is 2008 deals with the more, emotional version of what it means to be dark and realistic in war. And this one has to do with the more visceral kind of physical side of what that means. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's a good question. And like I said, it's kind of hard to answer because it kind of depends on what you want to get out of your viewing experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, Josh, your thoughts? So, I, I think, I think Al hits a lot of a lot of that uh, nail on the head there. Um, I just tend to come from it from a different perspective. And the thing is, like, to me, to me, they're done in two different times. Okay, so like, Guinea Tartakovsky is dealing with. Wars not make one great Jedi stuff, mm. okay? Where there's a subtlety to it. I'm going to come back to that. The Clone Wars series, you know, which I've already promised beforehand I wasn't going to say a bad thing about. Okay, I did. I said that before. But the Clone Wars series is dealing with Palpatine saying, I will have control and then we will have peace. And subtlety is gone, right? Which is why you get, and, and I agree, the best episodes of Clone Wars are the ones you deal with the with the soldiers and everything. But Commander Rex, in my opinion, is not a subtle character. You know, there's not there, the subtlety of that show is just gone. And there there are things they want to pre-cat you. Do you this mean is Captain not, Rex? Captain is he is he not Commander now? He, no, he, he never he's, becomes Commander he's Rex. A captain. Okay, fine. Captain he Rex. Cody. He doesn't. He does eventually become commander. He does exactly. It in the I've, I've seen the icon figure. You're full of crap. <laughs> anyway, okay, don't eat. No, okay, no, okay. If, if, if that's what you're going to interrupt me for, I, I swear. Okay, anyway, anyway, okay. That's all right. What we're saying. All right. The, the, the characters are not subtle because it doesn't need to be subtle anymore because we've lost all subtlety after Revenge of the Sith. And that, and, and the, the, the points that Clone Wars are trying to make, definitely very valid, okay? The difference, though, is one of the things I've, I've always said about Star Wars that I don't think people get, and it's one of the things that I think Last Jedi does very well, 
is Jedi's are not badasses. If they're badasses, they're no longer Jedi's. And the Clone Wars series, even though there's all these moments of like, you know, just Mace Windu just wrecking stuff and, you know, Yoda wrecking stuff and everything. The Clone Wars series gets at that, in my opinion, better than the 2008 Clone Wars series does. And a lot of it hinges on the the Anakin vision, which, of course, is a vision about him. But in an overarching way is a vision about this is where the Jedi are going wrong, guys. Mm. This is this is this is where we're going to screw up. And so, like, when you see things like, yeah, it is a very war propaganda thing. I mean, I, I agree there. It, it does feel like war propaganda. But like in, in and of itself, watching it recently, I'm like, you know, in the I watched it twice in the last week. Yes, that war propaganda stuff does come through, but it's also like, oh, my gosh, this is Jedi war propaganda in a sense of like, you know, the, the, the movies I grew up with are. Yoda, like, you know, why do you need your lightsaber to go into that tree? You know, like, what, you know, like your ability to fight is not that helpful. Wars not make one great. And when you contrast those two things, I think this, this series is, I'm not going to say it's more effective, but its message is much more subtle in what they're trying to get through. With the, with the ARC troopers, yeah, they're shown as, you know, they're, you know, they're strong. Um, you know, they, they, you know, extremely capable, um, they have the exact same range of depth of emotion as the droids do. And you can't, you can't tell me that that's not intentional. And one of my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite examples of, of just like how, you know, how you can tell this story and be subtle with it is in the storyline, uh, the story missions in Star Wars Battlefront 2, when you fight with Ayla Secura on, well, I can't remember what planet it is, Felucia. And, like, when you finish that battle, you, uh, the the guy who's uh, narrating it says, you know, Ayla Secura, you know, came down and thanked us all, you know, for, you know, for the fact that we, you know, that we had fought so bravely and told us all, how, you know, and told the council how brave we were. And we try not to look her in the eye because there's this concept in, in the novels, especially there's this concept where every one of those clones knows order 66 is coming. Every one of them knows. And to me, that's horrifying. And one of the things I really did not like about the clone wars, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, they don't know it's coming in clone wars. Right. In fact, there's an entire episode where like one of them figures it out and goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, Therein lies your difference, okay? Because it's it's the same it's it's, it's the same storyline, okay? But you either get a you either get a, a preachy like we're gonna make sure you get the message here version, or you get a subtle version. Um, but the exact same storyline is this, okay? Both of them, you know, nail this, okay? What in the world are the Jedi doing, leading? armies, tens, hundreds of millions of human clones in the battle like it's nothing. Because the main thing, the, the best thing this Clone Wars series does is the Jedi treat all those clones exactly like you treat battle droids. And there's the, that, that to me is the, you, you, you cannot tell me the guy that wrote, I, I, 
I, I can already tell you, Al's going to laugh when I say this, but you cannot tell me the guy that wrote Samurai Jack is not putting that in there. Okay. But I, I, you, you can't tell me like that, that that is not intentional. Um, because to me, that that's the difference between the two. Um, and so for me, I kind of prefer, I kind what I'm saying is I kind of prefer what Clone Wars does because I do think it's still within that timeline of the clones know exactly what's coming. You know, that's why they are basically emotionless killing machines. But also, why are the Jedi leading a bunch of emotionless killing machines as opposed to the Clone Wars uh, in 2008, where it's, you know, well, you know, let's high five Captain Rex every now and then and, you know, and like talk a little bit more about the humanity of it. You know, it's the same story, but it's told a different way. I tend to prefer the more subtle Clone Wars way and what they were doing before Revenge of the Sith came out. Um, but, but you know, I'm not going to begrudge anybody uh, the, the messages of 2008 Clone Wars either. Good point. Yeah, fair. Um, there was something I was going to add to that, and unfortunately I've forgotten what it was. But that was very, that was very, very good, very, very well put. Um, and you're right. I think it's, <clears throat> I, I, I think both of you definitely brought up some very good points, especially about you know the differences between the series and about what do you really want as a viewer, um, you know. And I think, for the record, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, but the older I get, the more I and I talked about this in the in the big opener. The more I've kind of realized that the entirety of the prequels is supposed to be a tragedy where the Jedi just kind of suck. And so honestly, I'm kind of, the more I think about it, the more I do kind of lean towards what Josh is saying with, with these. But that being said, I also love Captain Rex and, and Jesse and fives and all, all the other clones in, in the Dave Filoni series. So it's, it's hard for me to say, say that either one would be better or that we shouldn't have either. Yeah. One I mean, right yeah, I mean, the honest truth is, I mean, you get, you get some fantastic stories told from the 2008 Clone Wars because of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's tomato, tomato. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Josh, how do you think that this series did on the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan? Uh, it's my favorite example of, of the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Um, because there is not, there isn't a relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan in the prequel movies. Um, I, I, you know, nest of gun darks, you know, he's holding me back. Like, I, I don't see any, you know, you know, any type of, um, relationship between them. Um, the biggest failed aspect of relationship in Revenge of Sith, um, is when they're like, we grant you a seat on the council, but we don't grant you master. And like, every time I watch that, once again, like, I don't care if we know that Anakin's becoming Darth Vader. They don't know that. Okay. So you cannot, it's written backwards in a sense, because you cannot tell that story, you know, and make it so they're like, well, you, we, we, were, we were always suspicious of this. We're always suspicious. Why is he get out to begin with? You know? And so like when, when that happens and Obi-Wan just kind of looks at him like, that was not a good move, Anakin. I'm, I'm gonna be like, man, Obi Wan, stand up and be like, why in the hell isn't he a master? Like he's he he freaking he took out Count Dooku. You all could do that, you know. Like he saved Emperor Palpatine. 
15 times, you know, like, I mean, it's like you, you, these things that you guys can't do, he's doing, you know, unless you, unless you do want to make some moral judgment on him, we need to discuss why he can't be a master. And you don't have that here. Instead, in once again, in, in Clone Wars here, you have what could have been in my, like one of the, one of the most horrible things that Anakin says to Obi-Wan is it's, I can't, you, you have to correct me, but it's like, you know, well, you're not Qui-Gon Jinn or something like that. And instead of Obi-Wan, like, you know, going within himself, you know, and being the Obi-Wan of the prequels and kind of being like this kind of stern father figure, you know, like he he takes the blow and then is like, you know, listen, we've all messed up, you know, that kind of thing. And like, it, it's a much better example because you have, it, it's just, it, it's weird. It's weird that I have to be like, this is better because it seems like Obi-Wan actually is like supportive of Anakin. Like, isn't that a weird thing to say, you know, because like, you just don't see that, you know, in, in the prequels that much. Um, and so you get this, you get the relationship between them, in my opinion, is, is just better because particularly when he becomes a Jedi. So like my favorite, like the, the best, you know, this, I'm not sound hypocritical because like, I've just said like Jedi can be badass, but like the best badass Jedi moment in this is when that one guy's like, Oh, we're, we're in here. I bet they're going to send a hundred Jedi to take us out. You know? You know, he's like, it's not 100 Jedi. It was like, what, 75, 50? And like, no, we just see two. And you see them fly over the wall and, like, you know, you see all these droids with that. And then they're just standing there in their perfect action, you know, mm. figure poses. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, that's 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 a great moment. And, you know, you just have all these, like, fun little moments of, like, you know, like, you know, Obi-Wan very annoyed that they're going to be in a siege for, like, you know, a year. You know, and Anakin shows up. He's eating these bugs and, like. Obi-Wan's like, what are you doing? You know, like, and he's like, well, I found this, sir. They had bugs. There. You know, like, I, just so many great moments like that. These little, like, relationship building moments that you do not get in the movies. Um, and so, no, I, I love it, it. It's my favorite example of their relationship um, because, you know, they are, they are brothers in arms here, you know, and they're kind of forged by the war and, and, and the, and even, even just something as simple as, you know, Obi-Wan almost getting it, you know, when, when, um, when, when Anakin comes back after he's freed all those, uh, were they Navali warriors? Am I saying? Yeah. Navellan or something. Navellan like warriors. Yeah. Okay, yeah. When he frees all of them, he comes back and like Obi-Wan is like, you've done a great thing here, Anakin. Like, and Anakin's not, you know, he's had the vision, you know, he's uh, murdered some people because that's kind of an Anakin thing. You know, he just, there's, there's, there's a lot of murder with Anakin. Um, and like, you know, and he, he's just not there. And like, you can just sit, you know, like the way it's, the way it's drawn and the way it's written, like Obi-Wan wants to ask more questions, but like, you know he's a jedi now like what are you gonna do yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it, it's just it's it's really well done um so yeah that's probably my favorite example of their relationship uh that's been put out so far yeah sure al your thoughts on anakin and obi-wan um i thought it was good yeah um there's a i can see why somebody who watched it would come away from it with an idea of just like, well, I don't know. They seem kind of like inconsistent with like how they talk to each other and how they regard each other and things like that. But I think that kind of lends itself to 
trying to develop their relationship. Uh, because at first we see, you know, Obi-Wan um, is really hard on him at first in the show. You know, he's like um, giving him orders and like screaming his orders at him and holding him accountable and trying to ream him out for like disobeying him and things like that, which is understandable because Anakin did disobey him and Obi-Wan was right and things like that. But um and then you kind of see, you know, the more tender and soft um, omens between them. And um, at times it kind of feels very up and down, the relationship does. And I think that's a really good description of what that relationship almost has to be with how it ends up. Um, you kind of you kind of expect that kind of um, relationship to I'm about because as Josh as Josh said there's there's a tension between them right and it's a tension I think is inherent to this classic idea of what a Jedi is and what it should be um an idea that's come up uh, very recently with our war stuff that's coming up now is you know who a Jedi is as a as a person um, w- how they treat the people in their life, um, how they deal with their personal attachments and things like that. And there's a tension there, I think, that the show shows really well in that there's a tension between Obi-Wan and Anakin where um, I agree with what Josh said, um, where Obi-Wan wants to ask more questions and Obi-Wan wants more information and I kind of interpret it as Obi-Wan wants to be more involved in what is going on with Anakin, right? Like he wants to know. He wants to be his friend. He wants to be a real person friend and not just, you know, um, how hatred is the path to the dark side. Don't go down it. Uh, that kind of friend. <laughs> um, and, and there's that tension there because also Obi-Wan has been trained and told his entire life, you know, you need to put up your boundaries as a person, right? You need to, to do away with personal attachments and things like that. And it feels paradoxical because you're in this order of Jedi. You are surrounded by people who, who you would die for and who would die for you. And there's a paradox there. Um, and I feel like that paradox and that tension is on display with what kind of relationship Obi-Wan and Anakin have. And I think it's on display really, really well in this show. I also think it's on display very well in the 2008 series as well. I think it's one of those things that are done well in both versions of the story. Um, um, And again, you don't really get that in Revenge of the Sith. In Revenge of the Sith, you just kind of get, okay, um, this is weird. Because it gives you the illusion that um, that they're with each other and they're invested in their lives and they have all these wild and zany adventures and things like that. But then it completely 180s. And there's a difference between how it's shown to be very rocky and very unstable in Revenge of the Sith and how it's shown here. Because in the show, it feels real. It feels like a... Naturally occurring relationship where, you know, 
yeah, we care about each other. We want each other to succeed and do well and to be proud of each other. But um, there are all these restrictions we have on us. And there are boundaries that we're told to have as far as our relationships go. And again, there's just kind of that that paradoxical tension between them that I think is done really, really well in the shows that just isn't quite there in the prequel films, uh, which is a shame because it's a really interesting relationship that they have. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I think that that is the, I, I, I kind of, I agree with both of you, obviously that they, it's such a, it's such a missed opportunity for the films, particularly when Tartakovsky had really kind of set, at least from his writing perspective, had set everything up so well for Revenge of the Sith, um, especially with that with that whole scene with the Novellan Warriors and everything. So I don't know, but it's but obviously they do like like you like you said, Alan, in both this and the 2008 one, they do they do this storyline very well between <clears throat> between the two of them, and they just they nail those relationships, in my opinion. Um, I've got real quick. I do. Oh, yes. I, I just want to kind of piggyback on something al we were talking about obi-wan and wanting to be a friend and that kind of thing um i want to go on record real quick and saying because you know we're apparently getting the obi-wan show probably in may or june or something like that yeah and i want to go on record and say the thing i want from the obi-wan show is obi-wan going from obi-wan warrior of the uh, warrior of the republic to the guy who walks up to the 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 two drunk criminals in Tatooine and says, this guy's not worth your trouble, let me buy you a drink. Because those are two completely different characters. And I want to see him go from that one to that one. And I'm just saying that now because one of the, thing, one of the complaints, I think there are complaints we made about Book of Boba Fett, but one of the complaints we're hearing about Book of Boba Fett is, well, he's just not as bad a dude as he was supposed to be and i'm just like well i mean yeah okay but he's he's got a different perspective you know getting swallowed by the sarlacc pit you know might might put some perspective on you you know and and growing you know and you know growing into this you know relationship with these tusk and everything like it that's the point of it he's growing as a character and so like if if the obi-wan if if like if Obi-Wan show ends up being just, you know, Obi-Wan like fighting gangsters on Tatooine, I think it's a missed opportunity. If we're not showing Obi-Wan growing into what he is, you know, which is the perfect mentor for Luke, as opposed to the imperfect mentor he was for Anakin. If we're not seeing that, I think that show is failing somewhere. I just wanted to put that out there. It had nothing to do with what we were talking about, but <laughs> Al made me think of it. No, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I can't wait for the Kenobi show, honestly. And I'm hoping I'm I'm with you. I hope you see things like that. Um, so I've got two more questions. One is a fun one. Um, and, I don't like fun questions. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, well, I'm guess, all self serious. I guess this. we'll start with Al then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Al, what is Palpatine's plan for the Battle of Coruscant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. That is actually that is a fun one. You're right. That's a that's a fun that's a fun question. But like 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 legitimately, what is his plan for the Battle of Coruscant? Mm. I don't know. See, <laughs> you backed me into a corner with this question. Um, 
Um, because Jacob knows that I don't care for Palpatine as a character at all. Um, I think uh, I think Palpatine is one of the least interesting villains in all of Star Wars, <laughs> um, which is wild um, considering how often he he seems to pop up. But um, somehow he just returns. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, man. See, I wonder if Hardakovsky shares the same opinions about Palpatine as I do. Because in order for any of Palpatine's plans to come to fruition, at any given point, I don't care if you're talking about this series or the prequels or or the new th- or the new 2008 series or even Rise of Skywalker. I don't care. In order for Palpatine's plans to ever come to fruition, he has to be an omnipotent being. Like he has to be. <laughs> he has to be a literal god who controls everything in the galaxy for any of his plans to ever come to fruition. Because if one thing ever goes wrong, everything is out the window for him one way or the other. Like it's like the you bring up a good point because like in the Battle of Coruscant, the chaos that ensues <laughs> during that battle is insane. There are skyscrapers being blown up. Like, what happens if, like, oh, huh, weird, um, a Jedi escort hasn't shown up yet. Oh, here they are. They're opening the door now. Oh, is that a building coming towards me? Huh. <laughs> should, should I... Should I stop it? Because then they'll know. <laughs> should, should I let it kill me? Because that'll just be the end of my story. Like, there are so many... Also, Jacob, I have a question for you because I don't know if you have more backup, uh, more background info on this. Uh, because I couldn't really figure it out when I was watching it. Um, with the Battle of Coruscant, with the, the kidnapping sequence of Palpatine, which is a really cool sequence. Don't want to take anything away from that action scene. Yeah, of course. Does General Grievous, like... Does he know who Palpatine is? Okay, awesome. Is he I'm aware? Glad he said yep. this. I can't wait to point <laughs> I, this out. Yep. General Grievous in Revenge of the Sith has no clue that Sidious and Palpatine are the same person. Yeah. That is explicitly pointed out because Sidious tells him to kidnap Palpatine. Mm. And so like it's so like it's one of these moments where yeah, that's my favorite part of the Plinket Revenge of Sith. Oh, Grievous doesn't know? So, like, why didn't Grievous just go on and kill him then? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what if Grievous was just having a bad day and decided, like, I'm going to end the war now. I'm going to kill him. Like, why didn't he do that? <laughs> you know? And it's, it's oh, yeah. No, it's great. Grievous, no, Grievous has no clue that they're the same person. Mm-hmm. He has no idea. Which adds a whole other layer to the Battle of Coruscant. You know, because, like, to your point, it's like, well... And you to know, my question of what is Palpatine's plan exactly, yeah, at that point. Yeah. Sorry. But no, yeah, yeah. Grievous It's that. wild. What if, what if, see, this goes back in to Palpatine having to be like an omnipotent, omniscient type of entity in the galaxy. Because what if he had the schedules of the Jedi wrong? What if there was a change in the schedules of the Jedi 
And at the end of the day, after business had concluded for that day and Palpatine had, had retired to his chambers, if Yoda was just like, hey, actually, Shock T and Mace, I want you to, to trade assignments for tomorrow. So, Mace, you're on emergency Palpatine rescue duty. <laughs> <laughs> Shock T is going to go to the battle. Um, and then Mace Windu shows up. And Grievous is just like, okay, time to go, time to go kidnap Palpatine. And apparently Mace Windu just knows how to beat him because he's the only one who thinks to use the force against General Grievous, which was kind of annoying at a lot of points in this series. <laughs> because because Mace was just like, okay, I'm just going to crush your heart. And there it is. Oh, okay. Well, Grievous is down. <laughs> well, Chancellor, <laughs> it's been, it's been fun. I guess we won the war. This is, this is it. This went incredibly well it's it's wild i can't i can't stand palpatine palpatine makes no sense outside of the original trilogy because in the original trilogy palpatine is just an evil dude and that's how he should have stayed he should have just been an evil old man (laughs) that would have been great but no everything he does and plans has to work out to the most minute detail or everything is over for him. <laughs> it's infuriating. Uh, yeah, no, I, I have, uh, yeah, no, I, I have nothing to add to what Al said there other than just, you know, it, there is no real plan, you know, to curse. Yeah. You know. And the thing is about th- this is, this is one of the major issues with, um, with the prequel trilogy is that, the idea that the dark side is clouding everything um, is both so integral to the story that it basically ruins the story because now all your characters have to be stupid. But then also the big question, like, you know, when they're all sitting there, like the, the, the dark side clouds everything, when they're feeling that, to me, the story should pivot to, well, we need to find out where this is coming from. And it never does. And so, you know, just to add to what Alice said there, you know, this the the reliance on Palpatine as not just a character, but as a plot device is uh, is really what brings a lot of these stories down. Um, and that's one of the things the original trilogy understood, you know, like the original trilogy understood Satan's not interesting, you know. Satan is, you know, is a is a, is a plot is a plot device, uh, basically stating, you know, like as temptation that kind of thing. That's not that temptation in itself is not that interesting, but what it does to people is interesting, and that's what the original trilogy understands, and that's what <laughs> that's what the prequels don't get, and what uh, Rise of Skywalker very clearly does not get. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the the whole battle course on my so, the. You know, the plan, I guess, is to somehow get Anakin to kill Count Dooku, right? I mean, that's the plan. I'm guessing. It seems to ultimately be the plan, yeah, I guess. Okay, so, like, but the, the but, like. That's a long but way like, to do but, it, but like, But here's the thing, okay? So, like, they attack Coruscant where, you know, presumably at this point, you have, like, <laughs> You have Yoda and Mace Windu, the two most powerful Jedis in the galaxy, okay, mm-hmm. that, that are there, all right? So, like, 
what happens? And I even asked you this when we watched it the second time. What happens to Palpatine's plan if Yoda is just like, well, I'm going to get in the Starfighter and just chase him down? Like, what happens then? Because, like, the whole the whole thing hinges on Mace Windu being like, hey, Obi-Wan Anakin, we know you're on the other side of the galaxy, but can you get here and save Palpatine for us? <laughs> you know? Because, see, what, what, to, like, like, you're right. Like, you know, what happens if Mace is all of a sudden on Palpatine duty? But also, what if Mace Windu pulls a Samuel Jackson and is just like, I'm going to deal with this myself? You know? Like, you know, w- what if Mace Windu does then what he then decides to do you know, later on when Anakin tells him that Palpatine is a Sith. What if he decides to do it right then? You know, I mean, if if he defeats Dooku and then Palpatine goes do it, is like he just going to kill yeah. Dooku? You know? Or <laughs> Probably, like, or, yes. Or, or also, <laughs> if Palpatine does do that, what is stopping Dooku from being like, hey, you've been wondering who the actual Sith is? You know, you know it's not me because I'm basically just a dark Jedi and I know how to shoot lightning out of my fingers. But you know I'm not really a Sith. Plus it's not in his character. Yeah, and it's not in my character, as you stated <laughs> several times, basically. Dude. You trust in my character. You trust so much in who I am as a person. And, you know, and yet you're just like bad-mouthing Anakin all the time. But listen, the, the, the guy who's a literal count, who is a land baron in this thing, you're just like, hold on, it's not in his character to do terroristic things. You know, uh, you trust me so much. So let me let me put that trust to use. Palpatine's behind it all. You know, uh, I mean, like just just that one little change. You know, you know, or what? What if? Okay, at the beginning of Revenge of Sith, what if Anakin goes back and he's like, I need to go help these clones. The only time that we've ever seen anyone care about the clones and anything, you know, up to that point, he's like, I need to go back and help these clones. And so this is Obi Wan in the ship. You know, is Obi Wan going to kill Dooku? You know, like, I, it's, it, it is mind-boggling, you know, the things that have to happen in order for that plan to succeed. Uh, it, is, it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I, I started thinking about that yesterday. I was like, I have to ask him that question. I, I have to. Also, know. one more thing. He's, oh. he's, he's also shocked when the Athorian does his uh, dragon shout. So what if the Athorian does his dragon shout Grievous isn't ready for it and knocks Grievous 300 miles away with it. You know, and th- that's the Palpatine go, oh, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll just try this again another day. Is that what he does? Like, whoops, whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, whoopsie. <laughs> whoopsie. It's a good It's a good thing I play fast and loose with the rule of two or else I'd be out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. Uh, moving on to our final question. Um, and also, thank you all so much for listening to this because this has we have kind of rambled on, but this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, so Josh, I, I don't know if we had discussed this with you, and I know that you hadn't finished Light of the Jedi yet, so I'm assuming you haven't listened to the podcast just yet. I have not. Um, so at the end of each of these, whether we're talking about canon, non canon, legends, whatever, we ask the question of does this enter into your grand canon ah um, into the grand that canon. is that is al's uh the grand that's al's canon. baby i'll readily admit that uh, <laughs> and uh to recap al and i both think that the light of the jedi is absolutely necessary and is 100 percent in our grand canon um however al i'm going to start with you um does the 2003 clone wars enter into your grand canon 
Mm. You see, this is the first episode where that question gets kind of spicy. It does. Because um, there is a conflicting other Clone War series mm-hmm. <laughs> looming on the horizon. Which, by the way, everybody who's listening to this, if you enjoy this series, uh, then holler at us. Uh, because if we get to, like, the latter part of year two, possibly beginning of year three of this show, um, then we may very well do um, entire seasons of the 2008 show. Who knows? But, yep. um, but hey, who knows? But, um, yeah, it kind of... Um, it kind of asks um, a little bit more of us than um, the Light of the Jedi did. Um, it's a tough question. We've already talked about some of the differences uh, between the two shows. Um, and obviously, I would be kind of a hypocrite if in my grand canon um, I chose this one over the 2008 show considering as we've already covered um a couple episodes ago ahsoka is my favorite star wars character um so that'd be kind of that'd be kind of weird if i did that um so i'm gonna cheat a little bit and what i'm gonna say is i would i would swap out parts of this show with parts of the 2008 show um if I'm allowed to do that, and I think I am, um, considering I'm the co-creator of the show, um, so what? So what I'm gonna? So what I, I think I like to do is, I would, I would take the treatment of General Grievous from this show over his character um, in 2008 um, show. Um, I take him um, from this show into my grand canon. Um, because it's just objectively um, a better iteration of the character. Um, I mean, I don't think there's really any where to argue that. I think it's just objectively a better treatment of who of who and what General Grievous is. Um, and the other thing I would take out of this show, uh, which actually I'm surprised um, I didn't talk about this earlier, one of my favorite things about the show was um, very character-specific, um, but it was the journey of Shakti. Um, I thought the journey of Shakti from being in that group of Jedi when um, General Grievous first drops in the show um, um, and being um, defeated by General Grievous and being uh, brought back to health and then going on to to protect Palpatine, um, her gets kidnapping against Grievous and seeing how she handles that um, and how she's able to retain her calm and overcome that trauma of their first engagement. I thought that was really awesome. I thought it was handled really, really well. So I would adopt that uh, part of it as well. But yeah, I think this is one of those things where you kind of, you almost kind of have to trim and, and cut and paste various things from both shows because um as we've already covered there are things that 2008 does really well there are things that 2003 does really well so i think um that's kind of where i'm at is i would kind of adopt and take some of the things from this and kind of uh, cut and paste them into the 2008 canon so that the 
so that the two can kind of coexist with each other. Um, so I think that's where I'm at. If y'all want a more detailed answer about what I would take from the 2008 show, then support us on Patreon um, and give us good feedback about this series so we keep doing it. But um, yeah, that's my selfish plug for this show and the future of it. So yeah, that's me. Nice. Josh, is this part of your grand canon? You know, here, here's the thing. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, probably shock y'all a little bit, but here, here's, here's the honest truth. Okay, even though I love this series, I think the series is fantastic, and even though um, I have real issues with the Dave Filoni Clone Wars, um, even e- this show means a lot to me. Um, but you know, it probably, it probably serves better off to stay in the, uh, Star Wars legends category, um, than to be put into, into Canon. Um, but simply because the, the amount of, of just content that has meant so much to a lot of different people that, uh, flows from the Dave Filoni Clone Wars, whether it's, uh, Ahsoka, or whether it's you know the Star Wars Rebels or Bad Batch, um, the amount of content that's come out of that that means so much to people um, is just overwhelming. And you know, and so you know, I, I think that that probably needs to stay the way it is. Um, you know, and as much as I love uh, you know my my uh, uh, Thorian uh, Jedi friend, mm, yes, you know, it probably can't. Uh, what his 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 impact on the Star Wars world probably is not as impactful as Ahsoka Tana's. So uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to throw Agree to disagree on that last part, but um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. It's fan. It's like I said, it's one of, it's my favorite thing from the prequel uh, series, but uh, as far as if it needs to be in Canon, you know, the right one probably won out there. Yeah. I'm, I kind of, I lean more so towards Al, um, because I think there are certain things that I would definitely pick. I would Grievous. I don't like Grievous in Revenge of the Sith or in the 2008 Clone Wars. I just don't. He's he's uninteresting to me in both of those. Um, once again, love Matthew Wood. Great voice actor. Nothing against him. I I'd be fine if it was his voice being super creepy and just unstoppable like he is in uh, in the. Tartakovsky one um, instead of doing the weird little spider walk every once in a while and uh, yeah um, but but I do I, I definitely also do agree with you Josh that you know there are certain as much as I love him there is no little child who is wanting to be Ron Korob when they grow up there are a lot of little girls and, and, and boys who are inspired by Ahsoka and inspired by Captain Rex and other and and Kanan and Ezra and the characters of Rebels and things like that. And so I I do have to agree with you. I think the right one did win out because of stuff like that. Because say what you will about any of the Dave Filoni Star Wars stuff. If you love it, hate it, have indifference towards certain aspects of it, you cannot deny that there is a lot of heart that goes into those. And there was a lot of heart that goes into into the Tartakovsky one as well. You you can't deny that there's a lot of passion going into all of this. And that's what makes really both this series 
and pretty much everything Filoni has touched over the last going on now 14 years, what makes them work so well. So for me, it is not technically part of my grand canon, but there are certain aspects of it that will always be a part of me and a part of my love of Star Wars, such as Anakin's vision, the duel on Yavin 4, um, Anakin actually being a decent starfighter pilot instead of, you know, just kind of doing his thing. Um, and most importantly, Ron Korob. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Any closing thoughts? Anything anyone wants to add or anything? Or are we good here? Um, yeah, like, um, again, this entire series is on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you're hankering for some Star Wars content and have a couple hours, um, this is 100% worth your time. And it's like the most... <laughs> it's the most accessible as it's ever been so yeah so so um enjoy it how that you can um it's worth just hitting down and watching over a weekend yeah absolutely um well that ends it for this month on the eu or eu review um al and i would like to thank our guest josh for joining us on this one um josh i know we're definitely gonna be having you back on in october uh for your birthday mm -hmm. for one of your favorite pieces of star wars lore exactly um oh, yeah but but in the meantime um next month uh the month of march we are doing what is called comic fest which means we're gonna be doing our the first part of our star wars comic discussion um we're gonna be going through the first two graphic novels of Jason Aaron's uh, Star Wars run. And then we're also going to be talking about, um, no, excuse me, we're not going to do that. We're going to do that later. Uh, yes, we're going to be doing the first two graphic <laughs> novels of Jason Aaron's Star Wars run. Um, then we'll be talking about other Star Wars comics later on in the summer. But, you ever uh, feel like your plans are like Palpatine's on Coruscant sometimes? <laughs> you know, mine are almost as infallible. Let me, let me just say that right now. Almost. Um, Almost, almost. Um, but yes, next month we're doing that. And then uh, in April, we're going to be getting into some Ooh. bounty hunters. Um, we'll be talking more about that next Ooh. month. But uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Al, my wonderful co-host, thank you so much for always being a part of this. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, always remember that Phantom is for everyone, my friends. You guys have a good night. Now this is podcasting. <laughs>